Hey coconuts, welcome to another episode of Weekly Market Updates where we scour the net for interesting market news. Nothing too exciting for individual companies this week. It's all been dominated by the macro. So let's talk about it. We'll cover the general macro outlook again, what could happen, how we're dealing with our portfolios, and then we shift to crypto and the latest sagas that are tanking the price of crypto. Quite an exciting change of pace, to be honest. So hope you enjoyed this episode. Hey, Coconuts, welcome back to Weekly Market Updates with me, Rakesh. Anthony. And Jefferson. Welcome to a new week, everyone. Yes, finally, Yo. all of you are back here. <laughs> <laughs> we are, we are. Hey, Jeff, how yes. your water pipe? Uh? Fix it, fix it. Yeah, my portfolio <laughs> not so much. <laughs> I don't think anyone's portfolio is fixed just yet. Lah. Huh? It's fine, <laughs> it's okay. Uh, it's, it's just money, money can lose. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony, anyway, thanks for, for holding the fort uh, last week. I know, you know, Reggie's always a handful to deal with, so. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. You guys come back, Miss, have an easier life, so so yes, this needs to climb back quick faster. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, awesome. All right, Coconuts, for, for today, we have a couple of topics. We thought we'd do a little bit of a, a change of pace. As I'm sure you know, Monday night was a bit tough for, for a lot of us. The, the market has been dropping. I've been receiving messages. I'm, I'm sure, you know, Anthony and, and Jeff so from, from their friends as well. So we thought we'd talk about that today with the impending FOMC meetings and, and Feds likely to, to raise their rates and so on. Uh, and then uh, Anthony's going to take us through a little bit on the crypto crash as well. So really talking about Hooray. the downers and it's a quite a, I would say, negative episode. It, it, it's okay. It's, it, it's all for us uh, to like hopefully... commiserate and, and cope together, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Misery loves company, man. Not yeah, something well, hopefully... I'm, I'm very happy to hear about, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. But at least at least we can try and understand the downturn, right? That's what we're intending through this episode. Hopefully you learn anything or two and uh, let's get right to it. Jeff, take us away. Yeah, well, so last night, since 1990, we have all the S&P 500 companies closing rate and it hasn't happened since basically 1990. Mm. And there was also an article on Wall Street Journal reporting that the Fed officials are likely to consider surprising the markets with a larger than expected 75 basis point interest rate increase on FOMC meeting tomorrow. Yeah, so this wow. article is a departure from another article that was written by the same author uh, <laughs> two days ago, two days ago. Um, that characterized such a move to be unlikely. Yeah, so mm. my best guess is uh, really that the article is a hint from the Fed leadership. A 75 basis point rate hike is coming at the June FOMC meeting on Wednesday. So basically what it means is that there's more pain coming. You never know, right? Maybe they but really yeah, to me, to me, does have it. a 75 basis point hike and then there's a small relief rally because people are like, oh, you know, the Fed is actually serious about it and then three days later, it starts crashing again. Does, does it really matter? <laughs> the question is, no, does it really you, matter you, whether you, it's a 75 basis point or 50? It doesn't, right? I, I think, mm, you know, inflation isn't coming down anytime soon. You know, whether it's 50, whether it's... And, and must mm. remember, all these things are lagging. They have lagging effects, right? It takes two, three, four months to, to make its way through the economy. So you raise 50 or 75 now, we only see it at the end of the year. You know, nothing really changes really, except mm. maybe some expectations, right? But not, nothing really changes in, in terms of we start seeing the scary CPI headline figure go down. So, so yeah, I think we, we all need to kind of manage our own expectations there. Right. So I think if we run through this, right. So the first thing they raised was, was 25 basis points. So my question to you here, would you, why didn't they just raise 50 then or 75 then? That's why um, we said they should and, have raised 50. Was it just because of the Ukraine war? 
We did, we did, right? Because now <laughs> look at all this nonsense that's been happening the past two days, in the past week, right? So Jeff, what, what do we think here? Because why did they do that there and then raise again when they know the lagging effect is, you know, six to eight months? Yeah, I think the trigger for this shift to a more aggressive pace of tightening, basically is because they want to create some upside surprise in the May CPI report, right? Mm. So uh, look on Friday's CPI uh, report that came out. It was record high, I think since 2008, if I'm not wrong. Yeah. Uh, and it's something that really popped and everyone else didn't really expect it. I think only, what, uh, uh, I think a handful of banks, maybe three of them, that uh, mm. anticipated this inflation to hit that level itself. And while you guys are right to say that a lot of it is largely driven by like Ukraine war, uh, increase in uh, gas prices and what's not, it takes a couple of months later before we see the inflation uh, dropping. But I think one of the things to think about is also that there's quite a huge drag from the tighter financial conditions that we have been seeing. And given the fiscal drag as well that we have this year, that's quite painful mm. on the economy so you see the S&P 500 basically you think of it like a sentiment gauge where everyone is like oh it's a bad situation right now with us having to be 20% off January uh, what's Ice. it called performance right so it's just painful for everyone else and additional tightening of financial condition on Friday and Monday driven by an increase in the terminal rate expectation of say about 4% basically means that meaningful further drag on growth is going to be something that the policymaker have to at some point think about as well right. as to bring down inflation without a recession. So this whole soft landing like we discussed the last time is not really going to happen to, in my opinion. Okay. So we are going into a recession. They don't give a shit. <laughs> so they're literally going, hey, fuck you guys, I need to focus on inflation. I think that there's two separate aspects to it. Right? One is you know market prices and, and equity prices. I think it's been mm. quite clear since a few months back that the Fed doesn't really care at least at this stage um so you know they they yep. were going to they told you quite bluntly that they were going to bring it down right bring multiples down so that's fine but i think what they were kind of hoping to do was that the real economy wouldn't be affected too much which was why they, there was also this fear of you know overly tightening rates right because the faster you increase the more aggregate demand gets pushed down faster the higher the likelihood of recession well they don't necessarily mm. want to cause too deep a recession i think the acknowledgement now is you know softish lending at best right they said soft or softish mm. softish language seems to be the best you can hope for now so yeah it seems as if you know the, the consensus because inflation is, is still quite stubborn they need to hike more than they initially thought they did that means that your lending is going to be harder than they thought initially thought it would be even in their best case scenario so it, it seems as if that there will be real economic pain you know coming down the line at least in the US, right? We, we yeah, don't yeah, know I how mean, the rest of the true. world will behave. But it's yeah. true, it's true. Yeah, so I mean, one of the things to also think about is also in the bond space, right? The, the rate space itself. You have the Bloomberg US Treasury Index, which is nearly off mm. 10% since the turn of the year. It's worst analyzed performance over that space of time in the index history itself. You have 10-year US used at what 3.37% right now appreciating higher over the curve and duration exposure have proven to be a losing investment so what this whole thing means in layman terms is that you still see evidence for a dash for cash in the bond market with foreign and local investors alike piling into short maturity paper across the board so everyone is just you know basically changing it 
trying to change all their risky asset into what you call risk-free asset as much as possible, which is your short-term bills. Just holding that and uh, hope to tide through this whole crisis or whatever you call it. I think that's something of a concern to the Fed as well because that potentially can mean that the dollar can be a lot more expensive and then there might mm. be like plumbing issues that happen in the repo market and everyone else like basically can cascade and cause a huge financial downturn in the short term where everyone might still be thinking that is yeah you know this the fed is going to increase rates for now the stock market might go up a little bit because it's in line with expectation and what's not but in the plumbing market that doesn't seem to be the case right now. You, you start to see a strain in the repo market. You start to see strain in the cash flow as well. So that's something that the Fed is very concerned about. Well, I think, you know, across the globe as well, you can see the, the high, you know, uh, I think I was reading that India was looking at a high price. I know Australia mm. has just done a, another high price as well. Globally, right, we're, we're looking at this sort of phenomenon, if you, if you will, right? Because as we spoke, there was too much liquidity in the market last year, especially during COVID. So <laughs> they need to sort of tighten it and, and really try and focus on inflation. One question I have here is, I understand why they're being aggressive, because as you mentioned, CPR report was not showing and, and inflation was still very much in the market. Should we as investors, right, as Coconut's listening here, what's our next step, right? Should we hold on to what we have? Is there an issue because things are getting more and more expensive in countries? Forget even investing just day to day, right? Housing prices have, have skyrocketed. Food has food has increased in prices. We don't even have chickens and eggs in Singapore anymore. Sorry, chickens in, we in still Singapore have, we anymore. We still have, bro. We still have, we still have. Yeah. Don't worry. You, hang, oh, you, okay. you can't well, get chicken from Malaysia. Malaysia. So <laughs> obviously... <laughs> Well, it's going to be <laughs> increasing in price and all of this. So the, what's the thing here, right? Should we plan for holding some cash? What's your thoughts here, Jeff? Okay, first things first, right? You know, I think we, we talk a lot about investing, but the key is to make sure that you can live your life and you can survive to fight another day. Mm. So it's really, you know, making sure just in case the, the economy really, really turns south, right? And we are looking at something like Asian financial crisis or, or 2008, it's kind of making sure that you have a job, you have your you know rainy day fund, you, your emergency savings, you try to pay down super expensive debt like credit card debts. It, it's all the basic personal finance stuff that, that you should do. And if you don't know what to do, you know, time to figure it out. And once that is done, right, then I think if you lose money in investments, so be it. You know, um, at the very least, you, you are not going to not have a roof over your head and you can continue living your life, right? And I think that's probably mm. the, the key here is to survive and, and live to fight another day. That's the most important, I would say. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I mean, one of the interesting things that you brought about was like how the Americans are spending money, right? Uh, interestingly, mm. they found out that because the uh, recession is looming, you, you start to see upturn in credit card borrowing as well from the retail side of things. And it's scary because the last time when we had a 2008 financial crisis, similar <laughs> things happened as well, where borrowing went a lot higher and it put on a strain onto the repo market as well. Yeah, I mean, things just fall apart at the end of the day because you realize that if I can't pay my debt, all I have to do is just declare bankrupt, right? That's a much simpler way of resolving all my issues. And I come back with a sort of like a clean slate at some point in time. Yeah, and I live to fight another day again. And I think that is also a signal of the pre or rather a prelude to recessionary fears as well. Yeah. Wow, okay. Thanks for saying that. I didn't know that that was happening in the US now. 
Yes and no, right? So, I mean, just in the US context, you see your credit card borrowing going up, but you also see like household savings being at its almost highest ever levels. So I think pre-pandemic, you know, people had like 4K in, in their savings. And I'm like, what, 4,000? How is this like a median American? But I, I guess they do them. And now it's, what, 10? So they, <laughs> they do have some buffer to weather some downturns, hopefully. Um, hopefully they don't just like spend it all on like boats and, and all that. But, you know, <laughs> and I think if we are going to talk about a, a real consumer recession, there might be a bit of ways to go yet in the US just because you know, after the pandemic, a lot of, with all the checks, with stronger, you know, labor market, people have built up a bit of savings. No, no, precisely. I mean, uh, I, I'm not saying there's going to be a retail-driven recession, but it's more so of like an indicator of which, how uh, the spending habits has changed and that mm-hmm. tend to be a good signal of recession as well. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So that's the first part of the question, right? Second part is, as investors, now that we've, we've you know, have enough rainy day fund, now that my bank now has $10,000, woohoo, right? I have enough of a buffer there. I can maybe spend a bit more in investing. You know, our listeners out here probably at that stage where they still have that little bit of investment, but still trying to make money during this downturn. This next six months, this, this next eight months. Maybe we'll start with Anthony. What would be your thoughts here? Well, some strategies that you might do for coconuts out there. I, I don't know, right? I, I think it really depends on what your time horizon is. So if, if you want to make money over the next few months, just just bloody short the market, right? Short the market, take the risk, um, hope for the best. Don't know what the upside is, but you know that's, I think, the, the tactical play. Um, maybe a bit of commodities, okay. maybe some emerging markets because you, you are shifting out of the US. Um, I, I think what mm. is maybe a bit, harder to think about is what if you already have a lot of shares right because you have accumulated quite a bit over let's say five years right so it's not my pot of gold that i need Mm. to put into the market now it's i've accumulated you know 200k over five years what am i going to do with this and i think that's a very difficult question to be honest because we're not financial advisors (laughs) Um, if if it's you know (laughs) all growth stocks (laughs) that was one mil you know eight months ago and now it's 200k because everything has drawn down 80k well what can you do right are you going to sell it now you're probably closer to the bottom than the top maybe not are you going to sell all of this and reallocate to commodities again you know probably not right (laughs) Um, because that's just a a terrible pot i mean it's hard to run a portfolio that way where you just switch your your entirety of the portfolio every month or two especially if you don't do this full time Mm. so when you're in a position like that, it's it kind of hard to, to see how you can change, I would say. I don't okay. know. Maybe, maybe you should get one of those, you know, growth investors too. Let's put it this to, way. So you you obviously have a book a portfolio. You're probably down 80% from from highs and, and so on and so forth. But you, are, as we spoke about in multiple podcasts, you have salary coming in, right? We have salary yeah. coming in uh, every month. And my question to you is, would you now buy Comot or would you DCA into the stocks that you have or in, into equities or buy bonds or buy short-term bills as, as Jeff mentioned what what would you do? Okay so so I'll just say what I do right because um, that's I think easier so I have a, yeah. a relatively balanced portfolio it's like 50% reads and, and you know value plays and, and very stable you know, Singapore Hong Kong type of things and 50% mm. um, you know growth right <laughs> to, to put it in uh, growth and crypto whatever that 50% kind of so every month, 
I keep my reads portfolio. So so that's been doing well. I, I'm not touching that. I add to it once in a while, but you know, not, nothing too disciplined. I've been buying a lot because we, we've been talking a lot about China macro and all that. And, and I've actually been buying a lot of Chinese ETFs. So that's where the bulk of my DCA mm. is going. And in between, you know, it's also slightly DCA into the, the beaten down technology growth. And I think the reason for adding to these still is, you know, I think in a three to five year time period, these companies will grow again, right? And the idea is that this is a relatively short downturn, things will come back, good times may return, may not, but they will be good companies. Hopefully, a few of them will be generational companies, they'll be the next Amazon, that will make up for whatever losses I, I currently already have. So that's the play um, for me, and that's why, you know, even my growth portfolio is huge, it's like 20 stocks. <laughs> because you, you just mm. need three or four mm. to, to really, you know, run and and sub, and you hold on to the winners and, and you cut the losers later. Jeff, what do you would you do? Uh well I I think one of the things that you can consider is to go to NTC and start buying cans of tuna and stock up, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like glo- global food scarcity seem to be the, the, the bigger issue uh in this uh current current recession than anything else. So <laughs> that's one of the things that I I actually think about. But okay, yeah. I mean, jokes aside, for investment portfolio-wise, I do think that it's always Agricultural important to, to, to have it. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I, I, I would go there, but basically, I think it's a little bit too late. So like, if you get in, you, you have gotten into like coffee futures, like maybe like two weeks back, then you probably make a killing as well. But now not so much anymore because everyone knows uh, about about such trade is getting crowded as well. I mean, one of the things that you can always think about is having to just buy companies that you are convicted about. There's no point in having to time the market at right now because you don't know where the, the bottom is going to be. Maybe just mm. buy a little bit and, and just hold for the long haul. Uh, that's one of the things that I will do. I mean, not saying to use up all your war chest for sure. Another thing that I would think of is, like what Anthony mentioned, my current portfolio, what what should I do about it? Yeah, I'm I'm not gonna sell anything for now. I'm I'm just gonna hold on to it because I think that while I uh, quite a number of equities that I'm holding on are basically for for long term play as well. And while it's gonna be a bear market or whatever equity winter or whatever you wanna call it, right? It's gonna be painful for sure. <laughs> but I think in the long run, it definitely will pay off if you if you do hold on to it. And if I were to realize my my losses right now, it's gonna be painful. Yeah, it's gonna be really really painful. Right. Yeah. So so that's one of the things I would consider. And maybe on the crypto front, if you are pretty much a crypto evangelist, then the the majors like Ether, uh, Bitcoin just, might be just might buy be the something ships, to, right? to look at as well. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think a lot of the, the illiquid tokens or some of the we call shit tokens will then be wiped out as well. But yeah, hmm. it's always good to just do your own due diligence, buy things that you like. It's pretty much like just going to a, to a supermarket right now, right? You you see there's a discount. <laughs> buy things you, you like. Don't, yeah, you don't, like you don't in, exactly in go. In way, no. Yeah, you don't exactly go around buying everything that is cheap, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I think that that's yeah. kind of the, the way the market is right now, right? So, you know, if you mm. see something decent, like a good company that's kind of market leading, that, you know, is, is in a good area, has product market fit, 
odds are three to five years later, it will be up, right? Just because of how yeah, exactly. down it is. So it's really mm. one of those. In five years' time, all of us will come out and sell, you know, growth investing courses. Will, because we will say we bought at this you know, time, and then now it's a five figure. Mm. I'm a genius. Praise me, right? Um, but you know, right. and, and that's it's just luck, it, it, and it's market cycles. It's it's not really you know mm. evidence of anything. I would say. What about you, Rakesh? I think for me, um, property. No, when I can trade in in the market, I would. Uh, obviously, as you know, I work for a tech company, so I'm restricted by Windows for that specific stock. Uh, but for the rest, what I try and do is, and maybe shameless plug here, right? But for coconuts out there, we do have a couple of SGOs, a stock e-cost that we did over the last couple of months. <laughs> One was, you know, how to deal with your portfolio and emotions during a market crash. Definitely, you know, take a look at that for what we felt here. And I think Searching came on to did, uh, uh, did a really good one as well. How to, uh, I think you did that one. Yes. Um, how to evaluate Anthony, with business. Him, wasn't it? Creating a sound Exactly. Yeah. And, a sound and this week, approach. this week, we have coming out macro right, with Seibun, uh, the, the, the chief strategist of Prosperous, yeah. who, who will come and talk about how to position yeah. a portfolio. So, ta-da, lots of resources. So, I think those those three are there. But if you look at the crux of, of these two, I haven't obviously I haven't listened to the latest one, which is about to come out on, on Friday. They talk about not looking at the stock price, look at the company. So one of the things that I'm doing is I'm just looking at the financials as much as I can. Do I believe in, in the company? Do I believe in the management? Do I think they're going to grow and then invest accordingly? But I have to look at it in a, in a three to five year time horizon. Actually, in all fairness, I think I'm looking at two years horizon, two to three years uh, on my side, whether that's correct or wrong as you know, you guys are looking at three to five, I'm looking at two years and, and hopefully that will, that will come out quite well. So that's really what I'm doing now. I will say that I am you know, not DCAing right now. I'm really trying to pick my battles, trying to figure out what's going on and maybe go in, in, in July or August. That would be my personal plan. Again, uh, Coconuts is saying this is not financial advice. This is what we're doing. Uh, so <laughs> please make your own judgments here, yeah? Do, do the opposite <laughs> of what we do. That's how you make money. <laughs> Probably. Hey, don't, don't say that, guys. Don't say that. <laughs> okay, do the opposite of what I do. Yeah. That's how you make money. <laughs> yeah. Nice. All right. Yeah, I think um, no. I think with the the crash as well, with the whole situation going on, it's always good for us to take uneasiness that we are feeling right now mm. to take a hard look at the makeup of our own portfolio as well and the risk that it carries. Right. Really, just ask ourselves and be honest that whether we are comfortable with that risk and of course the losses that you see, and mm. it's likely to serve you well across different market cycle as well not just bull yep. runs right because we are always so Absolutely. used to to the ups and now when there's down just be honest yeah yeah i think th- this is probably the one big more sustained down cycle that our generation ha- has kind of gone through mm-hmm. right i mean 2018 yep. maybe right but that was kind of small right 2008 no. will probably it was yeah. a bit prob- was probably a bit too early for us so, so i think yeah. maybe the most valuable thing from this is if you can reflect and you can learn and, and take away proper lessons for it right that that sets you up for the next few cycles yeah, exactly. that's going to be worth more money than, than whatever 10 20k you lose now because your capital in in yep. 10 20 years will be much more than, than what it is now yes yeah, getting philosophical well, there um, but just <laughs> just one last question one last question for you guys and, and this is something that i've been thinking about right so you know we mm. we all have a bit of growth stuff growth tech stuff in in our portfolios mm. What do you guys think about hedging, right? And it could be, be something as simple as short arc because there tends to be a lot of overlap between growth 
you know portfolios and ARK. So you you can own maybe hundred k of growth stocks, and you sh- and you want to hedge fifty percent of your portfolio, so sell short fifty k of ARK to kind of ride out you know this volatile times. I don't know. May- maybe this is something more mm. for Jefferson in, in terms of like portfolio construction. So just before Jeff starts, there is an ETF called S ARK or something, right? Yeah, where it's, it's actually it's shorting the ARK. Mm. Is that right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Short arc. There you go. Right, cool. Sorry, Jeff. Continue. I mean, I don't really have a real view on like hedging and everything else for for my own personal portfolio, right? Mm-hmm. But if I were to try to construct something along that line, if you are going to short arc, then you're definitely going to have to look at the composition of what arc even holds, right? Yep. And a lot of time, like if you look at arc, it's concentrated mostly around tech stocks in that sense. And mm. even after the big plunge, we we saw that the top five technology-driven stocks on S&P 500 still make up like 20% of the whole market cap in that sense. So if you always become too dependent on one particular sector or a group of hot stocks, which is pretty much your ARC ETF, right? Yep. It's going to be a huge pain for you. You can always short ARC for sure and, and net your losses. That's one. But I think more importantly is to think about having to diversify your portfolio uh, across the different sectors as well, not just uh, tech or any of these uh, hot stocks that you have. Because they end up having to be hot potato and ever there is, the markets become volatile and what's not. And we have been so used to, to the fact that the companies are always going up and up and up. Then you lock yourself into the position and put blinders on. And this mm. phenomenon, which we all know in behavioral finance, is, is known as anchoring. And that's something is really painful for an individual that's investing in equities, especially in single stock, right? Yeah. So hedges wise, I think that yeah, just don't put all your egg in one basket for sure. Diversify across different uh sectors. Like for myself, I I like to look at something not related altogether, like commodities, uh, mm. which I've already been talking about for quite a bit. Um that mm. that to me is a hedge as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, correct. I, I think I was just uh, thinking that- about hedging the growth part of my portfolio. Mm. It's not meant to hedge like you know whatever S and P index you hold because that's just uncorrelated. It's a terrible hedge, right? But it's it's more than right. that specific portion of it. Yeah. Well, if you ask me, maybe like six months ago, a hedge for Good inflation, idea. then the the thing will definitely be crypto, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. the correlation. They'll have told you yeah. no, like, Come on, that, that's just not going to happen. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So if you ask like what's a possible hedge against uh, falling markets and inflation back then, you have been crypto and the reality has proven that it's very mm. different. And you you see the tokens trading far more like risk assets than any safe havens that are out there, right? Yes. Other stuff you can currently think about to try buying is like what, international stocks in different markets as well or bonds even yep. or like real estate investment trusts. Yeah, yeah, but honestly, none of these have been a real shelter from losses in, mm. in, in this year itself. Yeah. It's just smaller losses. <laughs> yeah. So it's outperforming yeah. Yeah, because people drop 10%, you drop 2%. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, exactly. I think in the early stage yeah. of any bear market, it tends to be a take no prisoner kind of environment, right? And everything mm-hmm. just gets hit, including all the diversifiers. But like we already talked about, we, we need to try to make ourselves like weatherproof our portfolio as much as possible and eventually the market starts a sorting process that can be beneficial to all these diversifiers as well and I think that's the most mm. beneficial part.
Got it. Cool. Actually, speaking of crypto, Anthony, this is probably a good segue. Yes. Um, I, I, I was going to point out that, that gold topic. isn't also a good um, inflation hedge, by the way. So gold has been... Okay, so it's been gold. flat this year. Right. So yes. so it's, it's not great. It's not um, bad, but it's not as, as good as inflation is, hedge as you know, everybody else says. But yes, it's shiny. <laughs> I, I, I still buy the same instrument, bro. I, I don't actually buy physical gold bars. Okay. <laughs> you could, you could. You must totally see at the back, right, Anthony, right? We just put gold bars. The yeah, back next, next time you see my right background, it's just like, you know, gold bars, stacks of gold bars. Okay, yes, crypto. Hooray. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what to say. I, I think, you know, from just, just kind of leeching on to, to Jefferson's last point, you know, they, they mm. have really behaved a lot more like risk assets, right? I mean, you, you can argue you know, to the cows come home about whether it's a Ponzi and, and therefore, you know, it's bad or whether or not. But I think performance-wise over the last six months, it's really high beta tech. It's it's like your, your Spotify and, and all that. But um, Bitcoin mm. being the biggest and, and slightly more stable is down 60% from its highs, I think. Now it's 22K from 69. So, so yeah, about wow. there. And the, the, the smaller out L ones, and by smaller, I mean like, you know, top 20 in the crypto universe is down like 80, 90%. Um, a lot of things in my portfolio are down 80, 90%. So, so yeah, it, it's been short, right? Essentially, a lot of it might be due to macro weakness because lack of liquidity, people de-risking, people moving away from crypto or, the, or, or yada, yada, right? But I think there, there have also been, you know, some crypto-specific um, instances which have, kind of contributed to weakness. One of them, of course, is Luna, um, which you can go and listen to Stocky Cloud to, to find out more. Um, but yeah, yeah. And the last few days have been you know, dominated by Celsius and, and how it's kind of driving Bitcoin and, and Ethereum down. So so yeah, that's just fascinating. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I find crypto super interesting. Yeah, <laughs> Three arrows seem to be the next thing as well right now. Wait, is three arrows to drop. Um, attacking? Celsius or, or are they uh, I think they are in trouble they are in trouble so, so yeah. Suzu there's and, and them, that gang <laughs> there's rumors of them being uh, insolvent yeah so yeah huh. in the past couple of hours as well yeah <laughs> what okay sorry yeah, um, it's all uh, because of uh, yeah it's uh, all because of sticking ether yeah. yeah, okay, so so it, uh, for context, Three Arrows Capital is probably one of the original crypto funds and probably one of the most established and, and older you know, crypto funds out there, right? Mm. I think Jefferson, that, that's kind of a fair way of describing mm-hmm. them. Yeah, and, yep. and I think there's a Singaporean yep, in there who right. bought a GCB using his Three Arrows, um, you know, son's name on trust, but that's by the by. Um, he, he's cashed <laughs> out enough. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> But you know, Jeez, I mean, so now they're insolvent. Well, that that's the fun of crypto, right? Um, it's literally a cowboy town. Not everything goes, and you know, I think that kind of has to be the realization of whoever wants to trade, especially retail. Um, who who wants to, mm. to trade crypto? I kind of started, you know, crypto as oh, you know, maybe this can be mid mid to long term. Um, fair enough, because I I still semi-subscribe to that view because you know I, I think the technology might be there that they might develop real world use cases sometime in the future hopefully before I die but you know that that's hope right and, and you invest where there's hope um, yeah. but 
at the end of the day, you know, given how the markets move, given given how unregulated it is, unlike equities, you have to be a bit more tactical. Right, you you have to be very willing mm. to take profits and, and very willing to to cut losses. Otherwise, you're you're just gonna get slaughtered. Like I think, I had my and and I have a few friends who had the same. Right? We had crypto portfolios that went up three four times over a few months, and and now it's like twenty percent of its already, of our capital, right? And and that's over mm-hmm. eight months. So so it's and, and wow. that's just because we we don't take profits and you know? we don't we don't really know how to trade. So okay, law is is just I, I guess a lesson. And also a lesson in, you know, being comfortable with the risk that you take. Crypto, it's, it's slightly different. I, I don't know if we ever want to talk about Celsius, to, to be honest. Um, I, I think talking about trading crypto is a bit more fun. <laughs> Tell us what happened with Celsius. I have no clue. Oh, okay, damn. I thought I could get away with not talking about it. Okay, so... so <laughs> Okay, for, for people who, who don't know and, and are not in crypto, Celsius is effectively centralized decentralized finance, right? Which is a stupid name, but whatever. Um, they, they provided a service where you could deposit your crypto tokens with them. They will give you interest mm. on their tokens. And the way that they kind of generated interest with, with your tokens that, that you kind of deposited with them was to go and do some DeFi, do some yield farming, stake it with Ether, you know, for whenever the merge comes, all of that. So essentially, they are a middleman, right? That's why it's centralized, decentralized finance. Um, and mm. to me, if you think about it, there's a very simple real-world analog. It's a bank. It's literally a bank, right? You give mm. money to a bank, yes. you deposit money into a bank account, the bank goes make a loan, earns a spread, gives you a bit of interest, keeps the rest for itself. Right, that's yep. the exact same business model, okay, and yep. you know what is maybe where the comparison kind of breaks down is you know in the real world where you have a bank and the borrower to the bank defaults, the bank doesn't take away your interest, right? The bank still pays you interest. Essentially, the bank bears the risk. In Celsius, it isn't particularly clear, right? So they say you you deposit tokens with them, they lend it out, but. I think I tried reading their T's and C's um, for, for Gemini Earn before, which is a similar model. And I couldn't quite figure out you know, what happens if whoever they lent the tokens to defaulted on the loan and, and couldn't pay the yield, whether my tokens would be gone or whether we share the risk or whether you know, the, the middleman just takes mm. the loss and you know, sucks it up, right? So I think that, that's a concern. We don't actually know. I, I think the better position might be that, well, you, you have lost your tokens or, or depositors lose a, a nickel share of their tokens, whatever, right? But I think that that's something that's right. unclear. That's not what happened with um, Celsius. What, what happened with Celsius was, okay, crypto crashed. Everybody knew that Celsius were in trouble. People tried to short it. People tried to short the assets that they held so that, you know, it, it would cause more liquidations and, and cause a liquidation cascade because prices were falling, you know, depositors like like you and me would go to Celsius and say, hey, give me my coins back, right? Because they promised you that you could take mm. out your coins whenever you wanted. So so give me my coins back. I, I don't want the yield anymore. I just want my money back. And again, you know, if you go back to the real world analog, this is a bank run, right? And and again, yeah. like Luna, you know, it's maybe a bit of a loss of confidence and all that, but it's essentially you going to the bank saying, I don't believe you have my money with you. I'm going to take all my money out. And Celsius, to their credit, responded like how a bank in real world would. They said, no, don't worry, trust me, all your money is here, all your money is safe. And then they stopped right. withdrawals. 
right? So, so this is exactly oh, what happened in Northern snap. Rock. This is, you know, exactly what happened mm. in Russia two months ago. What exactly what happened in t- Turkey, right? <laughs> Every time there's a background, people do the same things. They say they they try to instill confidence. They tell you everything's okay. Then they realize everything's not okay, so they stop you from withdrawing and and try to stem the bleeding there. So so yeah, it's like you know people think of crypto as this new thing that is so different, it's so novel, but it's not. You know, we we everybody has the same playbook, right? Mm. We are not yet at a stage where we we kind of push the boat out and, and develop something new and something different. And and maybe we will, maybe we won't, but at this stage, you know, probably not. And one last thing about you know, crypto that, that again has real world energy. So what has happened over the past day, I think, is people know that there are certain price points of you know ETH and of Bitcoin where hmm. Celsius will be liquidated. And I think Michael Saylor and MicroStrategy will also be liquidated because he has like you know margin loans to because he took margin loans to buy Bitcoin. And people are actively attacking the price to drive it below their margin call. So so essentially what they want to do is drive the price wow. of Bitcoin down. So let's say, you know, Michael Saylor took has a margin will get margin call at 21k Bitcoin and it's currently at 22. Right? People will push it down, mm. get the 20, you know, dump it further and buy it all back. Margin right? call. And and they make money down on the way down, right. they make money on the way up. Mm. Sounds antagonistic, sounds aggressive, but you know, 30 years ago George Soros did this with um, the Bank of England and the pound. Right and and try to cause a, a run on the currency there, so it's I mean mm. it, it, we are, we are just speed running history right we we have gone through like you know thirty uh, two hundred years of development in, in finance and you know crypto is just doing it all in two years which is the fun of it <laughs> <laughs> roughly the same cycle just just yeah. wait for it yeah <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, I think everything pretty much cascaded from the Terra crash, right? Then yeah. it essentially uh, caused Celsius to be illiquid as well. And then now, mm. like I mentioned just now, there's rumors about Three Arrow being margin called by Derabit as well. And like the whole crypto industry isn't really going, uh, isn't doing too well. Like with Crypto.com um, having to fire 260 people, Coinbase firing wow. 20% of their employees and what's not. I, I think to be that honest, I don't get that. A lot more pain. Yeah. I, I hmm? don't get that because actually I, I just think... print money, right? They, they are not loss making businesses. They, they have like hundreds of millions of free cash flow. <laughs> At least FTX did. No, uh, it doesn't exactly work that way because sometimes they do fund different projects as well. So like mm-hmm. uh, like Crypto.com has a VC arm where it, it funds different projects and Tree Arrow is basically a VC where it contributed to like the, the success of Terra before its crash, right? Uh, Jump Crypto yep. as well to, to Terra. So all these... That, like while you're making money on your on your market making strategy or any of your proprietary trading strat, if you have a huge loss on any of the major projects that you you have huge conviction in, that's that's huge pain for you as well, and you you are not hmm. gonna be financially recover in that short span of time, and okay. it, it's smart for like. FTX in that sense because they do have a separate arm where they do their own prop trading, which is I I can't remember what's the name El Elmeda. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Elmeda? So Elmeda. Yes, that, that, that's yeah, supporting yeah. Solana, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Elmeda <laughs> is basically like crypto's black rock in that sense, if you think about it. They are not taking on any projects or any position. They are just trading as aggressively, as mercilessly as they want to. Whereas the FTX, the exchange basically look like a good guy. Yeah, so 
that's that's just an so, interesting structure. That's that also a problem, well. right? Yeah. Like I trade with FTX. Mm. Um, Alameda kind of knows all, all the positions in the order book and can trade against me. You know, and, and correct, it's, it's correct. actually that the was, same person. They can. That was like how Citadel was essentially built out when uh when when it first started out equity uh HFT, right? Yeah, but but then Citadel got forced to to separate the arms. I think right. There's yeah, that's securities right. Yeah. And, and there's the yeah. market making arm. Yeah, but well, that, that, FTX can all be under this control of one person. Because we advocate for deregulation in crypto. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Terrible. <laughs> yeah. Like like it's it's just plain conflicts of interest in your face, and you you suck it up because you you want exposure <laughs> to this asset class. Yeah, but it's funny, right? Because <sighs> like what you mentioned just now for all the different, for like Celsius and MicroStrat, they essentially went out on Twitter to tell everyone their position, the, the price they are buying on. And even if they don't tell the public, it's not difficult to find out from the different addresses as well. So so much It's for, an open blockchain and all addresses yeah, are public, right? Again. It's, it's, <laughs> it's like to us having to play poker with your hands open to hands everyone. Yeah. Uh, all your cards open, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like like this sort of game how to win like like really I, I I kind of can get behind the tech and all that but how do you actually like this, this is just rigged against you right? at least the, the feeling increasingly is and you think the financial system is rigged crypto is worse at this stage right how do you actually win or is there a way to actually win or should we just all forget it you know follow Alameda and hope for the best <laughs> well it's uh, interesting times for all of us yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. all I can say. So on this, on this lovely episode that we started bagging everything, <laughs> including all the crypto world, um, I think we do have to round this up. It was a good conversation, guys. Thanks so much for for doing that, Jeff, as usual, um, with with the macro knowledge and and understanding that. Coconuts out there listening, hope you you know again. Keep control of your emotions. Don't don't think too much about that. If you are in, please make sure you stay in if you want to to see some sort of rise, but it's in there for a while. It's effectively locked. But yeah, do your own due diligence as we yeah. spoke about and maybe watch don't, out for Celsius. Yeah. Don't trust what they tell you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> don't exactly. don't trust what we say also. Awesome folks. With that, we'll we'll see you next week. Hope you had a good change of pace today. Bye. Bye. All right. Bye guys. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode and trust that you learned something today. If you enjoyed the session and want to be part of the banter, join our community Telegram group or follow us on social media. We also have a weekly newsletter to get a digest of the news we covered. To sign up, please click the description below. As always, we love your feedback. So share that with us at hello at thefinancialcoconut.com. Thanks and stay safe.